let me read the two. Um, I'm here on the switch. I'm going to go ahead and set up. You go ahead. Okay. Yep. Good. Oh, you want to uh, push play? Or you lessons did? and carols is this Wednesday, the 13th, at Otter Creek Brentwood Sanctuary. Invite a friend join us for special service as we celebrate the season. Okay, this says, today is the last day of regular adult Bible classes for the year. Next Sunday there will be a Magi presentation in room 310. My question is, well, one question is, how is all the adult Okay, so my my further question is do you want to just meet next Sunday? In here yes. yes. And we will finish up sort of the last speech sermon uh, in the book of Acts. That sounds good. Okay. I, I did just look on YouTube. And I, you can watch on well, they yeah. must have um, recorded the class somewhere. Yeah, some time ago. I mean, I, mean, I, I heard it a couple of years ago, three years ago. Okay, so we'll, we'll do that. Um, today, per the schedule, I'm only going to do half of what's written on here. So we'll be in Acts, the 26th chapter, and we'll talk about Paul's um, defense before King Agrippa. And then uh, there's, I think it's, it's sort of a, a bit humorous story in Acts 27 where Paul is you know, about to be shipwrecked and uh, he starts off his sermon to the men on the ship with I told you so. <laughs> and then and then there's a, a little bit of an interesting interaction in Acts 28 with uh, the Jewish leaders in Rome. Paul talking to them. So we'll do some combination of those two next week. But, oh, I'm Starting with a, a prayer from, from Scott McKnight. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit.
I sang a little bit of the first song today and started coughing. Uh, and then took cough drops and made it through the rest of the singing. So we'll see what happens if, if I go back to coughing, then Kent, you're, you're on early. Okay. So, Acts 26. Just a really quick review. Paul's in Caesarea, Caesarea Maritima. He's uh, sort of imprisoned. He's, he's in confinement of some sort, but all of his friends are allowed to take care of him. Um, Festus takes over from Felix as the governor, and now King Agrippa II shows up, and Paul gets to make a defense before King Agrippa and his uh, sister. Uh, don't know who else is there other than Festus and the, the uh, governor's entourage. And I guess I'm not sure whether some of the Jewish accusers from Jerusalem are still there or not. They probably are. But it says just what the military tribunes and all the prominent men of the city are there. Yeah. So it's like you just see this picture of all you know pomp and circumstance, the tr the trumpets playing, the drums, and, and feel Felix wants out of this so bad. You could you could basically go Festus. Festus, Festus. Yeah. Festus is going, I got this prisoner left over, there's he's done nothing wrong. Get me out of this. Yeah. My, my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law. Get me out of this. So let, let's just read. Um, I'll, I'll probably interrupt myself and make some comments. Uh, and, and you can decide, is this a defense, sort of a legal proceeding? Is it apologetic? Is Paul trying to uh, explain to Agrippa the gospel? Or is this just a missionary sermon and Paul is uh, trying to convert the audience? Or is it all of those? So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Sort of an interesting little phrase that Luke throws in there. But, you know, um, Paul is not only a good speaker, but he knows the hand motion. <laughs> Proper rhetoric. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews 
especially because you are familiar with all the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So a very polite but brief introduction. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Paul is back to his uh, theme of resurrection and uh, right away is dividing the Sadducees and the high priest and all of those folks from his camp, the, the Pharisees. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So it seems like Paul is saying, you know, I'm sort of the definition of zealous. Um, whatever was needed to be done, I was doing it and helping with it and pursuing it even, <coughs> even to go to Damascus to find people. I, I think it's interesting in, in, the, in these paragraphs Paul is, is he keeps talking about our he doesn't say our scriptures, but that's what he's talking about. That, that, that this is not something unexpected or irrelevant or whatever. He then goes on now in the book of Acts into the third <coughs> recounting of his all on the road to Damascus. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus 
with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Verses oh, about 12 through 15 or so is a recounting of the same story that Luke tells in chapter 9, and that Paul tells in chapter 22. But, but the second part of this paragraph, starting in, in about verse 16 or so, is new. Uh, it's, it's added, Paul adds to the recounting of the story here with a with comments directly from Jesus to him that hadn't been spoken of previously. Um, this word witness shows up again. Paul uh, is, is to be a, a witness. And in this sense, Paul certainly in his letters claims to have been what we would call an eyewitness. He, he has in this instance, seeing the risen Jesus. And Jesus is sending him, which I guess I hadn't thought about it until I was reading someone. If Paul says Jesus is sending him, that means implicit in that, is that Jesus has the authority to send. So Paul is, is uh, speaking to that authority. Therefore, O King Agrippa, so in this, Paul is seems to be sort of focused in on the king. And get to the next paragraph. It's, it's 
sort of interesting that poor Festus gets a bit frustrated and interrupts things. But Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the regions of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So, I think Paul, in some way, uh-oh, in some ways he's building a case here that, first of all, everything that he's done is based on their scriptures, based on what they should have realized, should have read, known that was there. <coughs> Secondly, as he tells the king, he's obeying a heavenly vision. You know, how do you ignore something like he describes happened? And here in these last couple of verses, he's connecting God and the Christ, the, the Messiah, who is Jesus of Nazareth. So they're, they're all connected together. So in one of the readers I was saying, he goes, you know, point one, point two, point three, I'm not guilty. You know, you don't have anything to convict me of. <coughs> and I, I want to get to this point, and then I'll turn to Ken. Okay. Uh, so Paul's comments sort of end there. And the next verse, even though he's been speaking, it's as if he's looking at King Agrippa and, and focused on him. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, ESV says, said with a loud voice. And I'm told the Greek word is, he shouted. And in, interrupted, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Paul doesn't seem to be phased. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind. 
most excellent Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words. And then he goes right back. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? He's sort of put Agrippa on the spot. On trial. On trial. And you can, you can imagine the wheels turning and Agrippa's thinking, if I say, no, I don't believe the prophets, then he's really put all of his constituents against him. Because he was trying to be the king of the Jews. If he says, well, yes, I believe the prophets, well, the Romans have, I mean, he serves at the pleasure of the Romans. And uh, they're not going to want anyone to be put ahead of their rule. But I think it's interesting that Paul, I, I think, realizes he put him on the spot and immediately says, I know that you believe. And Agrippa, so Agrippa didn't have to respond at all. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Oh, except for these chains. And Paul... I think lightens the the seriousness and the tension in in the room. This is one of the longest, I think maybe the longest sermon speech by Paul in in the Book of Acts. Uh, I guess the other thing I would say is it you can dig into it. And, and find lots of similarities and things to his letters. You, you, you find things here that Luke has packed. You know, this is a, it's taken me, even with interruptions, what, ten, less than 10 minutes to read it, five minutes to read it. You know Paul, if he had an opportunity before King Agrippa, talked for a lot more than five to seven minutes. So Luke has, has summarized it. Yeah, Debbie. I just, I mean, this may be totally down a rabbit hole, but what part of Paul's speech do you think sent Festus over the edge like that? I mean, what, what would most offend a Roman about what he's saying? I would think the resurrection idea. Resurrection. Yeah. 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 I. 
that's the part that for the Romans, you know, pe people die and they're gone. Yeah, they're dead. They're, they're, <coughs> excuse me, um, that for Paul to, to be so adamant about the resurrection, I, I mean, I think that's the part that Festus, it's not so much that he disagreed with it as that he thought Paul was crazy for believing in it. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, it just, it doesn't happen. We yeah. don't see people coming back from the dead. Sure. So I'm, I'm going to okay. let... let uh, let's, let's look at this. Uh, I'd like to look at the content and some of the situation that he's facing. I've read one guy that talks about B.C. and then conversion and after conversion. B.C. before Christ for Paul, verses 9 through 11. And then his conversion story. Notice he says, I saw, I heard, and then I said. I think probably Paul thought he was persecuting the way. I might have been a surprise to Paul to find out he was, to hear the Lord say, I'm the one you are persecuting. I think Paul thought he was persecuting the church, but in fact, Paul was actually persecuting Jesus. And if he's a kill that, you're a lunatic. You're a lunatic. Um, but this is interesting. Felix says that, and he says, notice this, he says to Felix, yes, but I know Agrippa. It's kind of in the third person here. It's interesting, isn't it? That he's talking to well, he's really talking to Agrippa, but he speaks to Felix in a moment. Festus. Yes, Festus. Thank you. We're going to get those two mixed up a lot, aren't we? Um, he's saying, and he said, I'm speaking to Agrippa. And then there's the close. If you had any sales training, you know there's always a close. And that's in verse 26 and 27. But what's unique about this, and uh, Leland has talked about this, we have more detail from the Lord in verses 15 to 18 than we do in the other accounts. Now imagine... You're Agrippa. Remember Agrippa. Let's, let's think about Agrippa for a minute. He and his sister walk in in all the pomp and circumstance, okay? Agrippa comes from his uh, great-grandfather, murdered the male boys of Bethlehem. His grandfather had John the Baptist put to death. His father uh, died a terrible death after he had uh, killed James. His sister who walks in like his wife was married to his uncle so not only was she his sister she was also an aunt and that when that marriage was over he died she comes to live with her brother and for a while she's married to another guy that didn't work out and so she comes back to live with the grip of the second and like Leland would have said maybe last week you know in a not strictly Platonic relationship, the rumors were, okay? This is, a, this is a terrible family. But listen to what Paul is saying the Lord told him. But to get up, stand on your feet, which he's doing, for the purpose I have prepared you to only minister and witness to all things which you've seen, but all the things which I have appeared to you, hear this, rescuing you from Jewish people and from Gentiles. Hmm, who in the room is Gentile? To whom I am sending you. Imagine this man is hearing Paul say, the Lord told me this. 
to open their hearts, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified. He says to this guy, I've been sent to talk to the Jews and the Gentiles to leave the dominion of Satan and go to God and repent. Uh, I agree. I think he's not going so much for his own defense. He's switching the tables here. Consider the irony here. I like this. He's been in prison for two years, endured five trials, and never really officially been charged. There's no charge. And like Festus is going to have to write to Caesar, well, there's this guy we arrested for no real reason, and we're sending him to you. Um, Paul's a prisoner. He's not frightened and must stand before this rancid court full of pomposity to be judged by them. He's in chains. Uh, it reminds me, I, I could imagine what it would be like. Imagine we are an administrator. We are a politician in Washington, okay? And we are being investigated for some ethics thing. This is hypothetical. This is never happened. We're being investigated by something unethical, supposedly unethical. And think of who the judges are. They're the people that probably ought to be in that witness. They're the people that ought to be judged, be judged right? And he's being judged by Agrippa and his sister, not quite sister, whatever. Uh, this is a farce. Agrippa, their ruler, he's unlimited, has unlimited freedom, freedom and power. Yet he lives in the chains of sin. Uh, the message that Paul is delivering, I read one guy said, it's kind of like the sun's rays. The rays of the sun can cause some plants to flourish. The rays of the sun can cause some to wither. Paul is flourishing. God's light is on him, and he, he's the only person that isn't a prisoner of sin in that world. And everybody else is burning up inside, right? Uh, I, I came across, oh yeah, uh, consider Griffith's comment. I use different uh, translations here. In a short time, you'd persuade me to be a Christian. Uh, this is what uh, that said. Uh, you keep this up much longer and you'll make me a, Christi a Christian out of me. In a short time, you'll persuade me to become a Christian. I remember this phrase growing up. Maybe you did too, because my church was a KJV's version church, right? Was yours? Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You know, that, that line, line, kind of language. And the last one is a nice hymn. Yes. yes. I remember I should get emotional during that song. Don't you remember <laughs> that? And it, it's like so sad because the minister just said he was this close. And it's kind of like we talked about last week. Almost uh, imagine the basketball game and there's five seconds left and your favorite player, the best player, gets the ball. And he takes a shot and it rolls around. The buzzer goes off and it falls out. And we could say we almost won, but then there are no trophies for almost won. It's like uh, Spurgeon said, it's like the guy who's sentenced uh, to be put to death. And he was almost pardoned, but he wasn't. And in this case, uh, that word almost is very loaded, isn't it? Notice the difference. I, I read a guy, um, Ogilvy, who talks about the difference between self-esteem and Christ-esteem. He said that self-esteem is, you know, how you see yourself. And Paul, in his situation, he's there in chains. He's been in prison for a couple of years at least. He's, he's never really been accused, never really been charged with anything that's illegal. 
And he knows it, and Festus knew it, and Felix knows it, and it looks like probably Agrippa knows it. And uh, he's, he doesn't have much self-esteem, probably, but he has Christ-esteem. And his Christ-esteem gives him confidence to stand in front of this pompous person and um, speak confidently. Uh, the issues, uh, these are some things I thought of, the issues of his charges stayed in the light of his con confident, compelling courage and enthusiasm. When you and I have the confident, compelling encouragement of Christ's esteem, we see ourselves as Christ sees us, we see ourselves as Christ sees us, we will be happy to tell people about forgiveness. Um, He's not pushing for a decision on his charges. He's pushing for Christ. Yeah, Debbie? I was just thinking it reminds it ties into Joshua's sermon about make us dangerous to the darkness. Yes. And I thought of the phrase, maybe maybe it struck you folks too, if you haven't been to second, maybe. But yet, but um, he has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed. Yeah. Now, say what you did again, Deb. Say, uh, oh, what? I, just meant, I, I was thinking of Josh's sermon this morning when we prayed, make us dangerous to the darkness. Yeah, good point. That is someone who has Christ esteem to pray, make us dangerous to the darkness. Consider the close. Do you believe? What's your decision, Agrippa? The questioner is now being questioned, isn't he? And as Leland said, if he says no, he loses credibility with the Jews. If he says yes, then Paul's going to say, why tarryest thou? Why not rise up and call? Be baptized, call him, hey, the Lord, right? <laughs> he, he, that's, he's going for the clothes, I think. And uh, he kind of relieves the tension and say, do you believe? I know you do. And uh, Agrippa gets up, doesn't want to have to really answer that. And he, he walks out, and he and his girlfriend, sister, wife, they talk about well, this guy could have been set free, but he appealed to Rome, I appealed to Caesar. I, I wondered, how did Luke hear this? Was Luke even there, you wonder? Well, or, well, or you know, who did he hear it from? That, because if, the way it reads, at least in the ESV, is that they were walking out. He, he tells about the conversation, doesn't he? And it's a conversation between Agrippa and Festus, or and maybe even Bernice, Bernice yeah. whatever. In a little thing, you know, side room. Crazy guy. If if he had not appealed to Caesar, we could just let him go. But at that point, you know, I guess Roman law sort of takes over, and and it's a good question. How did Luke have that information? Yeah, yeah. You think about where's Paul been for? Three years, two and a half years. years. Yeah, he's been chained to Roman soldiers. Who, who guards those yeah, rooms? Yeah, maybe. Good and point. so, I mean, you, I mean, you just think, can you be exposed? To, you know, because we know he goes to Rome and he converts most of the Praetorian Guard. Because it talks about that later on that you know the Praetorian Look Guards are almost all believers. Yeah. Uh, and so, can you imagine being chained to Paul? For two years, and if he is, if they are followers with him, right, and they're guarding this inner room, 
they're going to say, hey, here's so a conversation. I'm sure they, they, came out, they came out and they told them, hey, here's what we heard. Yeah. You know, in, in Matthew 10, Jesus tells his disciples there that you'll be going before rulers and kings and the prophecy came true. And Jesus says in Matthew 10, don't worry, I will tell That's my warning. Sorry. Uh, Jesus says, and I will tell you what to say. You will know what to say. And this Paul stands in front of this guy, who is the king, and he says, I've been sent to tell Jews and Gentiles they need to leave Satan and go to God's side. And I think this guy is squirming in his boots. He doesn't know what to say. And isn't it interesting, I suppose everybody, you think of somebody who's been hardened against Christianity. Wasn't there a first time they heard about the good news about repentance? Wasn't there a first time they heard about it and they were softened by it? And they were, the rays softened them and blessed them and they realized they needed to do something, but they said, not now. And Felix, um, yeah, Felix is the first one, right? Felix says, I'll, I'll call you back later, right? The first time a hardened person against the Lord Here's the word of God. I think they're soft. And I think they consider it. And they realize it. And this was not in a vacuum, like Paul said. Herod knows. Herod knows this story. This isn't the first time you've heard this, Herod. And now it's coming to you, the point of decision. And uh, there comes a time when you hear it so many times, our conscience is hardened. And like the sun rays, it hardens. Yeah, yeah. I think, Paul, you talk about Christ as king versus helpless king. When I think of the verse in Romans 8 about we are more than conquerors. And I just think he's untouchable. You can't really do anything to damage him long term. Yeah. Kill him and he goes to heaven. Yeah. Um, and it, you can see that more than conqueror of king in him when he gets up to defend himself and he brushes the charges aside. He doesn't even care what you're accusing him of. And he talks about what they need. Yeah, he's here to tell you about God. And it's like he could care less that you've accused well, you haven't accused him of anything because you don't know what to tell him. But You know, people will kill for a cause one day. But if someone dies for a cause, you're not going to snuff that out easily. And um, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, right? this little discussion that's going on between Agrippa and Festus. If you think about it, why is Festus procurer? Because Felix just got replaced. And now Festus has a problem. He's about to send a man to his boss. You know, the role of your bosses. You never make your boss's job harder. <laughs> He's about to do that. I've got a guy. I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> We just listened to it. We just listened to it twice. And I've got nothing to charge him with. But he's in prison. He's been in prison. And I've got to send him to him. I've got to write something down. And, and you can just see him squirming because... Because he know, has just been appointed. And Agrippa comes to congratulate him. Right. And, you know, yeah. And, yeah, and then so he's... What he's doing, you see him getting Agrippa on board, who's another governor, and said, hey, you write too. Yeah. So we can kind of spread the blame out here. That neither one of us find it. But, you know, because in Rome, you know, when the emperor called you back, 
it usually wasn't a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> and he had just experienced right. another guy only serving a couple years. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so you really worry here that I've got to send this guy and there's nothing. <laughs> I've got nothing to write. So and he had 26, does he have any clue what the charges are still? No, that's right. <laughs> and he, had, he had gone to Jerusalem after he was appointed, and the Jews there said, hey, why don't you send him down here so we can examine him more correctly. And Luke tells us in parentheses, well, actually, they're going to ambush him and kill him right. on the way. So he had gone to Jerusalem, got, a, got some people to butter him up a little bit, but it didn't quite take the way they thought. And he said, well, you know, you come in here to Caesarea and we'll uh, talk with Agrippa when Agrippa comes with us. How does, so, so he, he suddenly sailed, not suddenly, but he eventually sails uh, on a fairly long trip. How to enjoy a, how to enjoy a boat, right? Yeah, how, <laughs> so what, how is his case disposed of? In other words, he, he, he uh, we assume he it, showed up to Caesar's court. It's, it's not in the book of Acts. I, I mean, he gets sent to Rome, and the book of Acts just ends. We don't I mean, know we what to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. We're going to talk about it next week a little bit. We're going to meet him next week. Oh, we are? Yeah. Yes. We're going to go ahead and meet Rome. 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 Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rome. Uh, in our Bible classes, have like 270 some adults in them. I don't know how 270 some others are going to fit in that room. I was in that room last year, and it, uh, yeah, yeah, they were about. 269. <laughs> <laughs> so it's... Yeah. But there'll always be room in our class. You come. Okay. I mean, that's an interesting discussion that I don't have an answer to, but, you know, why did Luke end in the middle of the story? And, and there's, I guess there's some person that's theorized, oh, we... There was another page, but we've lost it. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> it would be bad. It's probably not true. But I remember there's an episode of Mass. Some of you remember Mass. Episode of Mass, and one of the guys is reading and is keeping the other one up. He said, I have to read it to the end. So the first one goes over and rips the back of the book up, and he says, now you've hit the end. Yeah. <laughs> we, we would say to Luke, uh, what's the rest of the story, right? Where's Paul Harvey when we need the rest of the story? It kind of goes back to the idea of more than conquerors and Christ's king. It doesn't matter. That's right. And T. Wright said, you know, we don't find out what happened to Paul, but we know what happened to the church. And that's what was Luke's purpose. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit in the church. And uh, we are Acts 29, actually. We become the Acts 29. Uh, I think it's real. Sometimes you forget. He appealed to the emperor. Nero, let's see, we're, we're talking about probably what, 58? Nero is. Second worst man? He, he, is, he is 20 years old oh, okay. in AD 58. Okay. A, he's totally erratic. Everyone hates him. He's 20 years old. And he has all the power. He's, he's, got, got, all, he's, he's got absolute power. He's a 20 year old with absolute power. That's dangerous. And you, th you think about so. These guys are damned. They're going like, we've got this crazy 20-year-old who's in charge of us, and what are we? And, and, Paul, and Paul, when when he appeals, he knows it's Nero. Mm -hmm. And it's going like, and everyone knows the stories. You know, it's like, and he, and he still appeals to Nero. He says, you know, 
I'm a Roman citizen, I've got to go to Rome. Providence, wonderful. Thank you all. Let's close in prayer. Dear Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Thank you for champions of the faith like Paul who had Christ's esteem and because it was able to say, I know who I am in Christ. And because of that, I can boldly, confidently speak even in a courtroom like that. Help us as we interact with others to be the people you call us to be. Thank you for our